Um, what a beautiful song, as Pastor David said, based on Jude, the last few verses, 24 and 25 in the benediction, and that's where we're heading. Next week, we get to cover those verses, and it's glorious. Not that today's passage is not, but let's read it together, and we'll take our time to go through it. If you did not receive a handout with uh, the sermon notes on it, slip your hand up real quick, and then Noe, would you be able to get anyone um, a sermon notes handout if nobody got, if, if you didn't get it, just slip your hand up, and Brother Noe will bring you one, and we will read the Word of God together. Today we're going through Jude uh, 17 through 23, only one chapter, so verses 17 through 23. This is the word of the living God. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And this is God's Word. May He write its truths upon our hearts. And I want to pray before we go through the text in detail, but I want to ask you a question before we pray. <clears throat> if you are in any way, Brother Aaron Alma, so good to see you. They ran off to Spain forever. Can't wait to hear about your trip. Um, welcome home. If you in any way are struggling in your walk with the Lord, in any way, you're struggling to trust God in, in something, you're dealing with a particular sin or issue, or, you know, you're just, uh, you're dealing with something that's in front of you that you're wrestling with or you're struggling in some way, would you just slip your hand up? Just look around. Many of us are struggling. Most of us are struggling. May I be so bold as to say all of us in some way are struggling. And so let's pray today. We need help with our struggles, but we need help to understand this text in light of that, as we'll talk about in a minute. But let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures that speak so clearly to us that not only inform us, but they invigorate us, Lord. It, it is life and breath. Lord, I thank you that Jude, inspired by your Spirit, penned these words thousands of years ago that still today speak. And we as people of God need this word in particular today uh, in deep ways. So help us, Lord, help me to faithfully serve your people well today. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. <clears throat> I, 
I love uh, theology. As some of my fellow theology nerds may say amen to that. But I love the implications of theology just as much. Because theology is practical. Theology is the study of God, right? And here's, here's the point of saying that. What you believe matters. What you actually believe matters and what you act, because what you actually believe will come out in your life. It will show. It, one way or the other, it will come out. And theology or study of doctrine and such is usually considered by many an abstract discipline. Um, it's, it's rational. It's, it's, uh, it can be reduced, if you will, to propositions. It's capable of being categorized. And oftentimes when we speak of, of doctrine, it's not usually thought of as practical. But all doctrine is practical and must be walked out and lived out. Um, Jude is, has wanted to talk to them about some issues regarding the doctrine of the grace of God and the salvation of of God, and we studied that a few weeks ago, that he, he wanted to write something, but then the Holy Spirit changed his agenda and put him on an agenda of dealing with problems that were going on from within the church itself. He named them. Last week, we went through a whole bunch of, of things, and he was pretty straight out and bold about how he spoke of these false teachers who had come into the church, crept in. I call them creeps because they crept in according to Jude, unnoticed. you got a, bunch, a, a handful of creeps in the church who are teaching a dangerous doctrine. There, it said in verse 4, you might look at it in your Bible there, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, he said they are. What did they do? They pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so, I asked for the raise of hands a little earlier because I I want you to know that these harsh words about these false teachers and such is speaking about the false teachers. It's not speaking about the Christian who's struggling in his faith or struggling to walk out certain things. Um, That's a part of, of our Christian life. We're pilgrims and we're heading towards the celestial city, if you know the uh, beautiful allegory that Bunyan wrote. And as we're heading there, we face trials and temptations, and, and there's, there's byways that we get off into, and, and certainly there's warning for that, and that's going to be part of the warning here today. But I want you to, to hear and understand as we get through this text what Jude is, is he, he's not coming down hard on the struggling or or those who are wrestling with doubts and fears and, and have, have weaknesses or are wounded. Again, we all struggle. He's hitting hard on heretics who are perverting the grace of God. And what they're doing, the, these teachers have come into the church to, to take something beautiful and magnificent, the, the grace of God, and they're perverting that grace and saying that grace means you can live however you want and it doesn't matter. That you can just you know, dive into any, any, 
area of life and immorality that you wish doesn't really yet, God will forgive you and you'll be fine. That's to me, I'm trying to think of like how perverted that is. That's like, that's like I mean, there's been a lot of talk recently about uh, human trafficking and just the horrible evil of this issue of human trafficking. And obviously it, it deals with sexuality perverted, right? And so that would be akin. Taking grace and perverting it into license, in my understanding, is the same. Maybe, no, it's not the same, but it's, it's, it's alike taking marital intimacy and perverting it with human trafficking and somehow including that in the same conversation. You can't. They're antithetical. And so Jude has seen this danger creep up in the church, and it's, it's crept in unnoticed. And there's some who are actually hearing and starting to follow these dangerous doctrines. And so he wants to set the church on a path of, of orthodoxy. Ortho means straight, right? Uh, like we get the word orthodontist from, doxy, worship, glory. So it, it's, it's basically straight belief, straight doctrine, healthy doctrine that leads to orthopraxy. Correct living, straight living, right living. That's what true doctrine does. That's what true grace does. And there's danger here that Jude is warning the church of because perhaps the most dangerous heresy in the church today is the disharmony between those who claim to be theologically sound, those who claim to believe the Word of God, but then live as practical atheists. And how, how dangerous and how sad to consider or to think that there may be some, in the, in, even in churches, who would listen to sermons, who, who would gain much knowledge of the Bible, but in the end, at the conclusion of life, to have the Lord say, I never knew you. And so it's a serious issue that Jude has brought to the church's attention. And today... <coughs> After calling the church to contend for the faith, he's going to tell us how to do that. He's called out the false teachers. He's been very harsh against their teaching. And he's called the church to pay attention. And now he's going to call the church to, here's what you need to do to respond. Three things that I pulled out of the text this morning. The three things are this, to remember the word to remain on watch, and to rescue the wounded. How do you contend for the faith in 2023? Remember the word, remain on watch, and rescue the wounded. Let's go through those three things together in your notes. First, remember the word, verses 17 to 19. He begins this section with a call to remember. He says, verse 17, but you must remember. Remember, he's changing the focus. The, the rest was about the, the false teachers, these guys who were, who were damaging the people with their false teaching. And then he turns to the rest of the church and says, but you, <coughs> you must do something. <clears throat> what must you do? You got to remember. If, if you've read your Bible more than, you know, three or four times through, you would notice that there's, there's often times that the Scriptures call us to be a people who remember, constantly calling us back, remember, remember, remember this, remember this. Why? 
Because if you're anything like me, you forget. <laughs> and our leaning as people is to forget certain things. And so Jude, as a good pastor, <coughs> calls the church to remember. And then he, he brings up this word beloved again, a word he'd used before to help them understand who they are in Christ. You're the beloved. You're the beloved of God the Father. You're his people. You're in his love. And so remember this, beloved. What, am I, what are we called to remember? We're called to remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture. He calls them to remember the word of God. Remember what the apostles said. Remember what the apostles wrote. <clears throat> what did they say? Verse 18, <clears throat> he sums it up with this. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. This is what's going to happen. So you got to remember the, oh, thank you, brother. <clears throat> Forgive my cough. I've been dealing with this cough for like a month now. My poor wife who has to hear me hack all day long. I'm going to trust the Lord to get me through this. <clears throat> thank you. So what is he calling them to remember? Again, the, the, the predictions of the apostles. Um, real, I, I think he had in mind particularly Peter. And, and if the timing of when I believe this letter was written, it was probably written shortly right after Peter had been killed. So Peter's now gone, the, the great apostle Peter. And here Jude is writing this letter to the church to, to reassure them and to call them to certain things. And in that, he, he's bringing them back to things that they've heard before that they need to remember lest they forget. Peter said almost the exact same thing in his letter, 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 3. He said, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. Scoffing is a thing. It's a real thing, and he, he wants the church to know that there will be scoffers. He says in verse 19, it is these, these scoffers in the last time that, that they cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of their spirit. Divisions, why? Through their false teaching, through their, their lifestyle of disobedience to the commands of God, they divide the church. Why? Because they create confusion and unrest in the hearts of, of struggling believers. People who look at their lives and, and say, wait a minute, you, you're saying this and it sure sounds a little like my Bible, but, but your life reflects something different and it's not making sense to me and now I'm confused. He says they're worldly people, which means that they, they have their, their lives oriented to and dictated by the values of the fallen world. They're devoid of the Spirit. He says, which means that they're claiming to know Christ. Yes, I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. But their lives demonstrate that God's Spirit doesn't dwell in them, which is the defining characteristic of the people of God. And so the call is to remember. Remember the predictions of the apostles. Remember the Word. We understand that the Scriptures have been given to us as our, as our guide as our rule, as our standard, as our, as our light. The psalmist says that the Word of God is a lamp to our feet and, and a light to our path. 
And so the, 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 the warnings of Jude are vital and necessary for us. I think of the warnings that Paul left the Ephesian elders when he was seeing them for the last time and they were crying because they knew they'd never see him again. He leaves them with important warnings saying that from among your own selves will arise wolves who are going to draw people away from you, away from truth. And I imagine that they, they must have looked around and looked at each other and been like, I don't think that's ever going to happen here. And yet it did. And Peter said the same thing. The apostolic predictions must be remembered, Jude says. What did they say in the predictions? <clears throat> Again, in the last time there will be scoffers. Now, people look at the chaos of the world and and ask a lot of times, well, do you think this is the last time? And my answer is yes. Why? Because the last time began with the incarnation of Christ and will end with the return of Christ. But, but if you're asking me, do I think that the last time of the last time is, is now, I'm going to just take a pass on that. <laughs> because apparently Jesus said nobody knows these things. So it would be alarming if I started setting dates for you. However, there is no doubt that the forces of evil will be more visible, more, more audible with his prospect of imminent return. And for that reason, in, in light of that, and that, that absolutely, it's absolutely crucial that the people of God are standing firm on the truth of the Word of God. Because the battleground in every generation is a is the battleground for the, for the Bible. It's what happened all the way at the beginning in Genesis 3 when the snake snuck into the garden and the people of God had been given clear instructions. You can enjoy all of this. It's, it's all yours. Have at it. Go for it. Except this one. You can't eat of this. And what happens? The snake comes in, and what does he do? Did God say? Did God really say? That's the opening. Hey, are you sure? And then he perverts it. Did God really say you're not allowed to eat of any of the trees? Which God never said that. He twists it. And, and the subtlety of it all, and the innuendo of it, and it's this creepy dimension that, that, that leads us to the scoffers that will be arriving on the scene in churches throughout the centuries. And as we've seen in the letter of Jude already, those scoffers are marked by certain things. They, they rely on their dreams, their private revelations, so-called. They follow their ungodly passions. Basically, they have an approach to the Christian life which says that my feelings are more important than the facts. It's my experience that, that allows me actually to sit and judge what should or shouldn't happen. My experience, my subjective response to truth, that's, that's the issue, not the objective reality of the truth itself. And so language is then taken and twisted, and it, it, changed, it changes, and it ends up meaning different things. I recently 
spoke with someone. We were talking about some very serious issues with the Word of God, and, and I was told, well, I guess our definitions of love are different. Well, what's your definition? And if it's, it's not about mine or yours, it's about God's, how does He define it? And you can see this. You can see the evidence for this damage in, in churches, in, in mainline churches throughout the Western world. Over a period of time, you have pastors in those churches who, who decided that, that their churches weren't big enough. They need to get more people in the door. So the best thing that they can do is just they've got to reach the world. So let's just get rid of all the hard parts of the Bible. Let's get rid of everything that, 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 that's really like going to stick it to someone and be hard to take. Let's stick to the easy parts. Let's make it a motivational speech instead of, of, of the whole counsel of God. And you get rid of hard parts and everyone's just going to say, well, that's really nice. You're, you're wonderful. I feel so good. And, and we've got rid of all the difficult stuff and, and, and now there's nothing left. There's nothing left when, when you take away the hard parts. The blessing, and there is great blessing when we faithfully attend to the Word of God in our reading, in our study, in our preaching, in our hearing, in our believing. There's great blessing that's found there greater than any other blessing in life. Dick Lucas, commenting on Jude, wrote these words. He said, when the Bible is declared outmoded, the resurrection denied, the saving death of Jesus watered down, or the biblical guidelines on sex and marriage made amenable to people's greed and all in the name of, quote, where the Spirit is leading us, end quote, we can be sure that the Spirit is not leading us at all. The Spirit of God has a work and His work is to magnify Christ and to drive home the authority and the sufficiency and the inerrancy of the living and abiding Word of God. So, what is Jude doing here then? He's coming and he's appealing to them. He's, he's appealing and challenging them to, to contend for the faith. And the appeal has not been rescinded and the need remains among us today. Alistair Begg said these words, any reading of church history points to the fact that at certain points along the journey, there has always been the need for someone to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> and we need to be those. We need to remember the word. We need to understand that our belief determines our behavior, and you can't separate them. We need to understand that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and you can't separate that. If you're not a believer here today or not, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. We're, I'm thankful you're here. Um, and I want you to understand that, that we as Christians, we want to take what God says very seriously. And that's why we 
say what, what, that's why I'm saying what I'm saying. It's not something that we trifle with. It's not something that we mess with. Um, I don't get to decide. I, I come as a servant of God. He says this is the reality, and that's the reality because he's God. And my hope <clears throat> would be that all of us would come to that same understanding that he's Lord and Master, that we wouldn't deny him not only with our words but with our actions. Because to be converted is, is more than just credence. It's to be committed to the one who has made the promises. I can't say, I can. I can say that I love my wife and then run off and be unfaithful to her, but understand this, that my actions of unfaithfulness reveal that I don't really love my wife. That's what Jude wants them to know. He wants them to fight for truth. And so the fundamental question is, what do you believe? What do you believe? What is your only hope in life and death? And my prayer is your answer would be similar to what is beautifully stated in the Heidelberg Catechism. My only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own. <laughs> Thank God. I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Point two, not only do we remember the word, we're to remain on watch. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. <coughs> the thrust of point two is this. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the center of this um, <clears throat> passage, if, if it doesn't come across as strongly in, in the English as it does in the Greek, but in, in Greek grammar, it's the only imperative. You're going to see uh, uh, several different participles and, and verbs that are participles, right? And um, in that, you're going to see only one that's an imperative, and that's keep. Keep yourself in the love of God. And then there's these, these participles. How? Building yourselves up praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the theme of it all is to keep yourselves in the love of God, and that brings up an instant question, well, wait a minute, How do, I, do I keep myself in the love of God, or am I kept by the love of God? Because earlier he had mentioned that, and this word keep, which means to watch and to guard and to care for, to be active, it's a very active word, it, 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 Basically, uh, Jude uses it multiple different times. We saw it all the way at the beginning that we're kept for the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it used in reference to the false teachers where he said they've been kept for condemnation, for destruction. We'll see it at the end next week where we see how we are kept by Christ himself. And so what is it? It's we keep because we're kept. We keep because we're kept. Understand it this way if, if you can. It's like saying this. My, I wouldn't understand love in a similar way as I already explained 
If, if I look at my spouse and, and I say, my wife, my wife loves me so much, how do I then respond to that love? If I've received that love, if I'm in that love and I've received that love, how do I respond? Oh, I know how I'll respond. I'll go have a fling with 10 other women. Do I, am I kept in that love? Am I keeping myself in that love? No. I'm rejecting that love. I'm denying that love. It turns it into a farce. It perverts that love. You see, God's love extends everywhere, and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. But we can deny ourselves the benefits of God's love. People who don't keep themselves in the love of God end up living as if they're on the dark side of the moon. No warmth, no light. We're going to take William to college here in a few hours and head for sunny Arizona, (laughs) where I think it's about 115 today. So I'll be inside in the air conditioning as much as possible. And... I thought of, you know, a, a, a life of indoors, constantly inside, no sun, all, just always in the air, in there freezing, wearing your jackets when it's 115 outside, right? I've seen that. It's a beautiful day outside. And, but if you stay in here the whole day and you never get outside, you're never going to experience the warmth. You're never going to get the benefits of this light of the sun. Keep yourselves in the love of God. One example of someone who did not is the prodigal son of Luke 15. He was always loved by the Father, but there was a time and a season where he didn't benefit from it. He was in the pigsty. If you're not keeping yourself in the love of God. Run home to the Father. Again, from the grammar, we can with confidence say that if we want to contend for the faith, we must learn how to keep ourselves in the love of God. And, and to know what it means, we can do no better than to read the words of Jesus Himself. In John 14, He says these words, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Do you see the connection? If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and the Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So we contend for the faith by keeping ourselves in the love of God and we keep ourselves in the love of God by keeping Jesus' commandment. We, we contend by living under the benefit and the blessing of His good word and submitting our lives to Him as our Lord and our Master in every respect. Of course, we don't do that perfectly. We fall and we fail and we falter. And when we do, as the loved, we recognize that love once again and we respond in joyful repentance. In John 15, verses 9 and 10, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. It's another way of saying, keep yourselves in the love of God. Abide in my love. Stay with me. Stay connected. 
If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Brian, I want to, but it's really hard. All these temptations, all these struggles, all these difficulties. I, I'm, I'm, man, some of the things God asks of me are really, really go against it, a lot of what I'm thinking and doing. I, listen, I understand, but someone who understands so much more than me of the difficulties of obedience to God, the Father is Jesus himself. In Matthew 26, 39... When he was facing the cross and about to take my sin and your sin on his own shoulders as the Savior of the world, to die a horrific death and to be separated from the Father, <coughs> he was under tremendous pain and agony, and he said these words, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Of course, Jesus never sinned. But he was about to take on the curse of the sin of the world. And if there was any way, Lord, any way, Father, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That, my friends, is the heart of Jesus, and it's the heart of the followers of Jesus. It's not what I want. It's not about me. Lord, it's only about you. You command, and I will, in faith, and by grace through faith, obey. Not to earn your favor, not to, to get a blessing, but because I'm yours, because you've given me favor, because I'm your son. This is faith in action. Jude then walks it out. What does it look like? Keep yourselves in the love of Jesus. He gives us three of these participles to help us understand how, how to do this. First, he says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. And one of the things I want you to notice right off the bat is that contending for the faith is, is done in community. All of these words that we're about to read, including keep yourselves, it's plural. The commandment and the participles are all plural. He's not talking to me as an individual Christian. He's talking to me in the context of a body of people, of believers that are struggling together and contending together for the faith. And so he says you're to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. It's a community effort. It's never in isolation. Hebrews 3, 12-13, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's to be a care and a watchfulness for, for one another that we're to, to, to have, a love, a, something that loves enough to, to, to get into your life and to care for you and to pray for you and for you to get into mine and to, to love me and care for me and to do it together because I can't do this alone. And neither can you. We weren't meant to. We were given one another. And it's a beautiful gift. The adjective here, holy, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And, and by the faith there, it's not, a, it's not just personal faith. It's, it is the faith he's talking about contending for. 
It's building ourselves on the foundation of the faith, which is why we need to remember the Word and understand what the Scriptures teach. Again, the adjective holy that modifies faith is used here, only here in the New Testament. And I'm glad of that because I, I think it helps us understand that what Jude's talking about here isn't subjective faith. He's not saying it's your own personal response to Jesus. No, he's saying, I want to earnestly urge you to contend for the faith that has been once delivered to the saints. I think of Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 that calls us to this, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens. What a blessing. But you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? A beautiful edifice that, that God is building that reflects his beauty and his goodness and his glory to the world. That's us. Living stones, a, a living, breathing temple who, who worships God and gives Him the glory that He deserves. Building ourselves up is a corporate reality. That's why we gather. That's why we sing songs of faith. That's why we pray together. That's why we receive communion. All this for the glory of God, for His worship, and for the building of ourselves up in the faith. And then he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll find people, maybe you're one of them, who would say, oh, this is a, it's a special kind of prayer that, 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 you know, you don't know what you're saying, but you say it anyway, and it's, and it's weird and peculiar, and just do it and you'll be better for it. And I don't subscribe to that view. I don't believe that's of God. I believe that what he's saying here when he talks of praying in the Holy Spirit is that this this is the very praying that the Christian needs to always pray. It's the prayer of the Holy Spirit in contrast to those in verse 19 whom he said are devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit. You're actually to pray in the Holy Spirit because you are of the Spirit. Romans 8, 14 through 17, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And I don't think it's by accident that He, he puts between building and puts this, this building and praying together praying in the Holy Spirit, building yourselves up, praying in the Holy Spirit, only building yourself up in the faith is only enabled by the Spirit. Prayer is only enabled by, you can't pray except in the Holy Spirit. There's a dependence upon prayer. It, it's, a, it's an attitude of the heart that, that knows its position. I'm dependent on you, God. I need you. I can't do anything without you. This is the attitude of the Christian. 
There's nothing like prayer to express dependence upon God. And I also think we need to pay attention to this notion of building and praying <clears throat> because none of us are best on our own. So one of the best ways to build each other up is to pray for each other. Pray for each other. You know what's incredibly encouraging? You, you, I don't know if you've experienced this. I certainly have so many times over the years where where maybe you, you're going through something and you're struggling with something and then you're, you're afraid to tell anyone because you don't want to be the only one. You don't want to feel weird because it's like, well, no, everybody else looks great. They're all having such a wonderful time and everything's great in their lives. But then you, you actually let it out to a brother or a sister and you tell them what's going on and they're like, well, I thought I was the only one that felt that way. I thought I was the only one struggling with issues like that. And it gives you a bond and it gives you an ability to, to come and say, great, let's pray together for that. And there's power in, in the unity of having a brother and a sister come alongside to, to, to contend for the faith now together. No, no Christian should ever feel like we're alone in this battle. You're never alone. Praying in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We began with the mercy of God in, in verse 2 when he said, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. And now he begins to close with mercy, understanding this is one of the ways to contend for the faith is to wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and mercy are, are very beautiful words. And, and what is mercy? Well, if grace is getting what you don't deserve, then mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So there's an understanding that God has been merciful to me Oh, showers of mercy that has come upon me, and now I need to, I need to understand that that mercy that I've received is going gonna, is gonna to continue on into all generations and into the future. There's, there's, there's a future grace for me that I'm waiting for, and, and, and I believe in particular he's probably speaking about the return of Christ. He's coming, that he's coming, that, that your sorrows and your pain and the sickness and the death and the trials of this life will one day be over and Jesus will come. And when he does, the mercy that you've been waiting for will arrive. And that's intended to give us hope to press on into the future. It's to encourage the heart to, to see, I know I don't see it in front of me, but I'm going after it because I'm trusting. I'm waiting for that mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to, to see him. And, and, and that hope spurs us on. This is what I think John is writing about in his letter, 1 John 3, 1 through 10, when he says this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has yet not, not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What a day that's going to be. What a glorious day. And listen, verse 3. Here's the urging. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see the connection? Christ is coming. Oh, great. So do what I want. No. I'm going to see him. Lord, I want to be ready. 
I want to run from my sin that's clinging to me. I want to keep my eyes on you. I don't want to get them off the, the path. And I, I want to stay close to you. I want to be pure. Just as you are pure. One of the things that stands out to me as I look at these verses that were in front of us here is Jude really takes the great theme of, of Paul from 1 Corinthians 13 when he speaks of love, the love chapter that you're probably familiar with. And at the end of it, he says, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Is love. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Waiting the hope of, of the mercy of God. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Glorious and beautiful is the truth of the Word of God. Lastly, point three. <clears throat> Rescue the wounded. Jude understands in the church there that there are those who have been affected and influenced by these false teachers. That maybe they went and had coffee with them and they're hanging out with them over here and as they're talking, they're starting to question some of the things in the Word of God. And, you know, did God really mean that? Did God really say that? Does, is that what the Scripture's really saying? Because it sounds kind of harsh or hard or difficult. Is that really what He intended? And they, these dangers have arisen. And, and think about this with me for a second because this, when this letter was written and sent to whatever church it was first sent to, these letters were read publicly. And so, and it, and it, it wasn't an atmosphere where you were sitting in rows. In the way that these old or, uh, ancient Christians worship, usually they were sitting around looking at one another. <laughs> Whether it's a circle or a, you know, they're all around looking at each other. And so imagine this being read and you're one of these Christians, and you're sitting in a circle, and you're looking around, and like, you know, I, I kind of know maybe you've been struggling, or you know I've been struggling, or yeah, I was hanging out with, with that guy that Jude just slammed. And so Jude wants them to know, how do you treat one another now? How do you live with one another? And he makes some distinctions here in these last few verses. And I call them the wounded because the false teachers have hurt them with their teaching. And you have some who are, I like the way John MacArthur broke it apart, he said some are confused and then there's others who are convinced. They've bought into the lies. And then there's others who are the committed, who actually are the false teachers. And so Jude kind of makes a distinction between these. Verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. There's some who, who are hearing some things and there's, they're kind of doubting. Like, I don't know if this is real. I don't know if this is true. I'm kind of really struggling with this. The word doubt can also be rendered as dispute. There, there's, there, there's a fight going on. And how do we handle that? If you're struggling in your faith, you raised your hand earlier, if you're struggling with some of the things in Scripture and maybe you don't want to say anything, I'd say say it. Ask your questions. There's no shame in asking the question. Get it right. Get the truth. Get it right. Reach out. 
for help. And, and brothers and sisters, if, if, if someone is in that place, how do you respond? Have mercy on them. Has God not had mercy on you? Have you not ever been in a position where you didn't understand the Bible a whole lot? And there's a lot of things that maybe from your past or maybe from, from church hurts from the past where, where you're just confused about. Have mercy. Be kind. Be gracious. Be loving. Save those or save others by snatching them out of the fire, he says in verse 23. These are those who've wandered off and have heard the false teaching, and now they're, they're convinced that, yeah, that's, that's where I stand. Yeah, the, the, the guy over here taught me that God's grace is so amazing that it really doesn't matter what I do. I can just do whatever I want, and God forgives me. How great is God's grace? It's amazing. And you see, bits of truth and beautiful truth is taken and it's twisted and perverted before it comes out the other side and it's become a doctrine that will lead people to hell. And so how do you save others? Number one, you understand that God saves them. And so we pray, and, but yet we, we are called to be used of God as the means to save others, which means you go after and snatch them out of the fire. You, you realize that, that they're, they're a brand, a branch that's in the fire, and it's about to get burned, so you get your hand in there, and it's uncomfortable, and it's a little hot, and you pull it out. This is language that's pulled from the Old Testament, from Zechariah, where, where he, uh, it says in, in Zechariah 3, that there was Joshua, the high priest, was standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan was standing at his right hand accusing him. And he's, and he's wearing this dirty garment. And the priest was not allowed to wear the dirty garment, and so the enemy's accusing him. Yeah, look at him in his dirt and his filth. Look at him, look at him. And this is so beautiful. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And we see Joshua lifted out. And his white robe, clean robe, is put on him. He's receiving the mercy and grace of God. A beautiful picture of hope. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. You've got to go after some people hard. And you've got to pray for them seriously. And you've got to be willing to be uncomfortable and share uncomfortable truths. And you've got to rest in the Lord in the end to know that it, it's not your words that are going to make the difference. It's the Spirit of Christ. So you've got to do it in a spirit of dependence. The danger is too great. I've seen, I've seen it so many times over the years where you see, and, and this is why the danger is so great. It's why it's, because it spreads. Not even by, our, it, it, even our actions it spreads. I've seen people say things like, well, I know so-and-so did this and they're happy now. And they're okay, so I'll be okay. And it's so dangerous to our souls. Save others. Snatch them out of the fire. Then to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. He tells us how mercy is to be shown, and I believe in particular this is speaking of the, the actual false teachers. Yes, there's even hope for them. There's hope for them to repent and to turn. And yet, Jude is careful to say when you're showing mercy to those who are in a very deep pit 
of understanding in belief, you, you got to be careful. And so there needs to be a fear here. What is the fear? I believe the fear is what Galatians, uh, Paul wrote to the Galatians in 6.1 where he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves lest you too be tempted. There's an understanding that no matter how much I, I know or I think I know, I, I need to guard my own heart. I need to be fearful enough to be careful. I was work doing some upstairs the other day, and I heard the doorbell ring, and I didn't quite know what was going on, but somebody was at the door, and turns out it was a Jehovah's Witness, who we never get him in our place, but rings the doorbell, and Lily spent a couple minutes talking to him and told him the truth. And I was kind of bummed because I would have wanted to come down and talk to him. <laughs> I feel confident to talk to them. I don't know if you do. I hope you do. If not, get confident. How? Study to show yourself approved. And I don't beat them up, and I don't, I'm kind and gracious, but I want them to know the truth. And I know Lily shared truth with them. But there's a careful, there's a fear that should come into our Wisdom, discernment, as Pastor David prayed, of like, well, I'm going to sit down and have a 12-week study with them. Be careful. Be careful. He calls us to hate even the garment stained by the flesh. And this word, uh, our Bibles have language that would be difficult for me to even use from the pulpit. And this is this kind of word. It's kind of a nice language here in the ESV. But the garment spoken of here is literally their undergarments. And the stained by the flesh is speaking of soiled undergarments. You let your mind run. And Jude is saying this is the danger. This is how this is how nasty and, and, and ugly and putrid and filthy false doctrine is. Avoid it. Don't run in and grab it. Hate even the garment stained by the flesh. Notice it doesn't say to hate the one who you're showing mercy to. False belief leads to ungodly living that is filthy in the eyes of God. And may we, our hearts understand the same. Let me call the music team to come and prepare for the response time with the communion. And let me just close with these words. I'm prone, you're prone, we are prone to forget what God's done for us. And so we, we must constantly expose ourselves to the Word of God. We must remember the Word. We must regularly read it. We, we need to attend faithfully to the hearing of the Word preached and taught. We need to memorize it. We need to discuss it with, the, with one another. We need to build each other up in the faith. We need to pray in the Holy Spirit. We need to keep ourselves in God's love as we await His mercy on the last day. And because our hope is set on Christ's mercy toward us, because we are recipients of mercy, we then are able to show mercy to those caught in 
sin and deception while keeping ourselves from the sin that has ensnared them. Now, all of this, all of this very practical text today requires our intentional effort and our active participation in the church. The Christian life has always been a pilgrimage. It's always been a spiritual battle. But its end will be triumphant. And with that truth in mind, we can take great encouragement and have great peace as we contend for the faith.